So, trying this for a second time because you forgot to hit record, but tell, <laughs> tell me about uh, your your uh, questionable origin experience last night. Yeah, so I didn't probably represent myself in the best manner um, with my behaviour, um, and I apologise for that for anybody who was offended by that. Um, I had a pretty high-strung day. I was running off two hours of sleep because I stayed up all night to watch the cricket. Um, obviously, the origin was really annoying. Um, my dog had walked in just before we were about to leave and then spread shit on the carpet, uh, which we then then cleaned, and then we then had to take the dog to be washed at the petrol station, which we then directly went to the pub from. Um, so yeah, I was pretty high strung. I was ready to lash out at anybody. And there, and there happened to be uh, in a game where New South Wales got thumped, there was a single lonely man in a Queensland jersey by himself who felt the need to chirp at um, whoever was the loudest in the pub, and that happened to you. I think in the first, within the first three minutes of the game, you said to him, go find some friends, buddy. And his response was, all my friends are here, which thinking back on it now that he was sitting by himself is actually quite sad. I'm yeah, not... like think about that. You, you, just, you just played yourself. <laughs> and then um, uh, by the end of the game, he chirped some more and some F-bombs and C-bombs were dropped. And I think Oh, pub... I dropped the C- When you said buddy, I said the C-bomb in the first five minutes. That's how highly strong I was. Because <laughs> there was dog shit all over the carpet. Yeah, so like, I, I do apologise. That's probably not socially appropriate. But the guy was a bit of a dickhead too. So let's not get bogged down in that. And let's talk about how good Usman Kawaja is. <laughs> We're back um, on the uh, the Uzi podcast train. Fucking eight. Um, so normally this is the point of the podcast. So should we intro the pod and then we'll jump to it? Yeah, uh, this is the advanced screening. My name is Justin Corbett and I'm joined as always by the number one fanboy of the Usman Kawaja fan club, Tom Kelly. Tell us about your boy. Coming live from the Nook Nursery. <laughs> I am next to our snoo. Um, I'm next to the, our little nightlight. I'm into the comfy chair. I've got like all the, the children books ready to go because we are T minus like 50 days to go. And uh, how many of those days are going to be spent watching the rest of the Ashes? All of them. <laughs> all of them. All of them. Um, no, the cricket was superb. So I probably haven't watched as much television or like, you know, high-end blue chip event TV as I would have liked over the past week uh, because the cricket has been that blue chip drama ongoing of Basball versus um, Paddy Cummins. What a hero. Um, Solar panels, Cummins. Yeah, right? Uh, go out, go out I, and get I, them now. He's gone broke because he went woke, but he still wins the game for Australia. <laughs> but he's still the greatest Australian going around at the moment. What a hero. Like, get this guy in... Like, when we think that Channel 9 are currently making Warney, right? Or they've made Warney, it's primarily this oh, week God. where it's the... Don't get me started on that. Do you want to do the bit of an intro here and then I'll pose my question? About Warney or about cricket? Well, yeah, explain what Warney is. Oh my God, Warney, uh, anyone who watches Free to Air, which I'm sure is no one, uh, Warney is the dramatization of Shane Warne's life. Um, great Australian cricketer Shane Warne. Uh, I think they announced it was happening like a month after he died. Someone had already got the approval for it. That's and, so bleak. Um, we, I worked on the Shane Warne documentary that came out six months before he died. 
and thought, yep, that's a, that's enough. That's all that needs to be done. And then they announced this drama and to the so, so poorly ill-advised to the point that his kids were just like, fuck this show. I can't believe they're making this already. How disrespectful, how unbelievable, blah, blah, blah. So don't go watch Warney if... Are you going to watch it? I think we should watch the first episode and talk about it. But I'm not, I, I'm not happy about it. No, but I think that's exactly why we should watch it as a... I'm not necessarily saying it's a hate watch, but I think you come from such a fascinating perspective since you worked with Shane and you worked on that documentary and I think I think it would be reasonable for you to have a right of reply. I can also completely understand where you'd be almost like, I, no, I don't want to actually... No, it'd, it'd be no, nah, it'd be good to watch it and see like how much they bullshit and how much is true. Like he obviously had such a big life that they wouldn't need to bullshit anything, but it'd be interesting to think like who their researchers were and what kind of access they had in kind of talking about the more private aspects of his life and what they're kind of just beating up. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, and I think that's just a fascinating sort of insight that you have because of those experiences working with Shane and but also not working with Shane just in any context, but in a film and television um, production. Set in where he had essentially final cut on the program. So yeah. he was very involved and uh, we know exactly what stories got told. Maybe and we what... need to do um, a cricket episode where we talk about Warney. We talk about the television coverage of The Ashes. So we can talk about Kevin Peterson and Ricky Ponting. Oh, Kevin Peterson. How about we do that maybe in, in the next month or so? Yeah, we should do it. We'll do it in the lead up to the next game. Okay, done. Let's... When is it? Next week? Uh, I think it's, yes, next Wednesday. Lords? Yes. Uh, shout out to Mitch Musket, who <laughs> texted us over the weekend just to rub it in that he's in Europe and he got tickets to the Lords test match, that prick. And where was he watching Origin? Oh, yeah. He sent us the photo of him uh, on a Kentucky tour bus going through the sights of uh, Rome. And rather than look out the window and look at Rome, he was watching Origin on his phone. <laughs> That's like, you know, that's when like I fly international in Dubai airport and I'm catching up on the idol. <laughs> oh God. We'll get, I reckon we should get into the idol in a sec. Um, we are going to, uh, this podcast is brought to you by Disney's dial, uh, Harris, uh, Indiana Jones and the dial of destiny. Do you want to try that again? <laughs> Thank God we're not actually sponsored because we'd lose it straight away. <laughs> uh, this is the advanced screen brought to you by Disney's Indiana Jones and the dial of destiny, which is due out next Thursday, or next doesn't mean anything to anyone who's listening to this, Thursday, 30th of June, I think. Are you going to go, um, are we going to go see this, or are you going to see this, or? I'm going to try to squeeze it in before uh, Brit and I hurry off overseas, so Thursday night, Friday night, or sometime Saturday for sure. And when do you fly out, what, next Sunday? Sunday. So we need to get an episode in the can, and you need to go see that by yeah. then. So uh, in honor of that, uh, later in the episode, we're going to do uh, a definitive uh, once, one only list of Harrison Ford's top five films. Um, just a kind of bit of a draft. We'll try to talk about, we'll try to pick our top five and um, collectively. But before we do that, and even before we get to the idol, I've got to ask you a question. Um, yes. Do you hate black people? No. Do you hate strong female leads in films? No, I actually prefer that and encourage that. Uh, do you have some sort of fear about becoming a, a girl daddy or a boy daddy? What is the what is a, a is that a euphemism? <laughs> no, it just means the father to a girl or boy. 
no, I have no problems with either of those situations. Then why are you... Because gender is just a contract, Justin. Why are you the only podcaster in history to not like Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse? Oh, great point. Okay. <laughs> is that where you think... Did you have any idea I was going there? I th- well, I knew we were going to talk about Spider-Man, but I didn't know that line of direction. <laughs> the, only, the only person to talk into a microphone who isn't um, a right-wing nutjob that didn't like across the spider-verse so please please tell me how you didn't like this amazing movie okay so i've got two things first thing i want to actually talk about the cinema experience we've Mm. been back in the cinemas for how long what 18 months two years yeah probably probably about two years here in australia and i wouldn't say we've gone full scale back and i think when we do go back it's only for the big events so you were talking about oppenheimer and barbie and so i think spider-man is that sort of experience so we went and saw it at Dendy Newtown, so it's not the big IMAX screen experience, but still, like, it's a good cinema. Um, and the experience I had was fucked. Um, the cinema was full of pretty much 10 year olds. Yep, I had my kick, I had my seat kicked numerous times. I had to tell children to stop kicking. I had some, a 10 year old was running around the cinema, knocked another child over, and a a random father screamed at a, a child he did not know. What? During the movie? During the movie. Gets better. Gets better. Oh, my God. The people I was sitting next to, I was almost like, oh, they seem normal, right? And then mum opens her bag and lifts out, I kid you not, a Coles barbecue chicken starts breaking <laughs> it off, eating it, and feeding it to her child. Oh, no. <laughs> she'd literally like it's a and like the cinema is now a waft with that sort of like barbecue chicken yeah, and smell dendies dendies aren't big cinemas either if anyone's been no, they're not. in newtown you know <laughs> and i'm almost they're like small cinemas i look at sam and it's almost like what is this like this it's feral what like i yeah, don't understand <laughs> like if this was like bankstown and I can say that because we're from Bankstown. If this was like Hoyt's Reading Bankstown, cinemas at Auburn. Yeah, like I get that. We've been in cinemas like that. But I was disgusted by the collective human experience. And we both walked out of there <laughs> saying, streaming wins. Like if that is the cinema ex- experience, why would you ever go back? It's streaming wins it now. Um, so that I come from that experience. So my my viewing experience was um, Brit was away for the weekend. I finished work early on the Thursday. So I just took my lonely 32-year-old ass to um, Hoyt's at Bondi Junction at, for like a 3.30 p.m. screening. Yep. And it was kind of a mixture of kids who had got off early. Um, there was only kind of like one mum brought two kids dressed in Spider-Man outfits and we can kind of get into the the movie a little bit because it, it's so adult and so much moving images so quickly and so much going on. Like these kids, we're in Spider-Man outs, it's clearly love Spider-Man. By about halfway through, they are walking up and down the stairs just like, yeah, they're not engaging how much this. longer? Because it's it, I can imagine how hard it would be for a kid to track what is happening in this movie. Yeah. So I, in what I will say, the good thing I thought about the film was 
obviously the animation is well and we already know this it's been lauded it is phenomenal what's happening in it and the animation style and breaking from that but i also feel that in some of those cases i didn't really love the aesthetic that was presented i especially the gwen one where mm. i know it was that watercolorish sort of moody sort of thing going on but i was a bit like i remember sam leaning over to me and said um what's is the whole movie going to be like this just that was if, a that was my 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 only criticism because I absolutely loved it and thought it was really really good. But yeah, the the Gwen stuff was like style over substance. Like if I know it's an animated film, but we're still meant to be somewhat in a real world, and yet like her world around her is like melting like wet watercolor and stuff. It's like I found it beautiful, but I also found it really distracting. Yeah, um, and then. So I'll go to the, the actual nucleus of my point was I actually found the film boring and reductive. I thought the first 45 minutes with the whole setup of the family storyline and Miles not like fitting his responsibilities, so fucking boring mm. and sort of like, this is not engaging. I'm not, this doesn't actually make him a likable character. And I'm not, I don't think it is supposed to, but I'm like, I don't find any of this entertaining i'm not finding him as a character as development sort of interesting i'm a bit like oh whatever like can't we just sort of let's get to something a bit higher stakes um i think the introducing of the jason Schwartzman, the spot villain i thought that was sort of interesting but it felt like a little bit more needed to be fleshed out i don't know yeah it, he kind it was of an interesting backstory but it felt like this is not an important character, but then it's actually the most important character. Yeah, he kind of he kind of enters it, and obviously this is the perils of making a two parter. Is that he enters it and then leaves for seventy percent of the movie. Um, so and I get that. The next movie is going to be his movie, um, and my other two things. And I didn't want to cut you off there either. Was no, there anything no. you wanted to add? No, like just, yeah, it's kind of, it's one of the, I, I really liked it, but because um, like that, the whole thing with his family is like every single Spider-Man story that's ever been told is the idea that he's one of the, at least in, in movies still, um, and I think in comics, he's one of the few people that actually has a secret identity still. So yeah. they have to play that up because you can't do that with Iron Man or Captain America or anyone else because everyone knows who they are. So the idea that you... You, the, the one unique thing you can do about this superhero character compared to everyone else is the idea that he all he wants to do is be Spider-Man now and he thinks he's so much better because of that. And so when he's not kind of living up to his family duties and all that kind of stuff at the start, that makes him unique compared to everyone else. So I really like that. I can but understand I get, it drags that, but a bit. I think it also lost all the fun of the first film because I've me and Sam went and saw the first film and walked out and thought, this is phenomenal. So we, we coming as we loved that first one. I'm not coming in as like, no, I don't like Spider-Man. It's like, no, we went because we held that first film in such high acclaim. And so we, I, I, it lost the fun of hanging out with miles at school and in New York. And the thing that was fun then became the drag in this film. I felt, and then the other thing, and I this is a, a bigger, broader uh, picture sort of 
opinion about, I suppose, superhero movies and Marvel and DC and what's happening is this whole, uh, not metaverse, the multiverse, the multiverse. I'm sorry, metaverse. Sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's boring as fuck, and it's been done to death, and it feels enormously low stakes. Nothing matters. And if somebody dies or something goes wrong, it's almost like it doesn't matter. And that's how I felt about that, where I liked the, what was happening in India, but I was almost like, it's none, none of this felt like it had substance. And I understand that's what sort of, it's a commentary on metaverses and are not metaverse, multiverses <laughs> and these sort of identities that have been made through popular culture. Um, but I thought that was actually really dull and boring. And then the big bad Spider-Man that's played by Oscar Isaac. Yeah. I felt like, Miguel. That's yeah, so interesting you said that. Cause I thought, I thought that was like the, like the best part and the, the stakes of the movie is the idea that to be Spider-Man you have to suffer trauma and someone has to die in your life. And all these Spider-Men that are in the kind of lobby or whatever they call it have all lost someone. And so they think that Miles needs, he shouldn't exist because the spider came from a different universe, blah, blah, blah. Um, so he hasn't suffered that trauma yet. So they have to kind of stop him from stopping someone he loves die. Otherwise he never becomes like a quote unquote proper Spider-Man. And he's kind of like, well, screw you guys then. I'm not going to be one of you and I'm going to go back and stop it. Like, yeah, stop his I, dad from dying. I thought there was some interesting sort of stuff about free will and the whole idea of, is there such a thing as fate or predestination and mm. those sort of things. But I I felt like it was a bit heavy-handed. I was like, halfway through, it was almost like, do these characters not believe in their own free will or is everything a canonical event? Like, I did like that they called him canon events, though. Oh, I didn't mind yeah. that either, but I just thought it was sort of obvious. I was like, do these characters not believe in their own autonomy? Yeah, that's true. Um, think, think hard about it. What, what did they call the place that where they all hung out? The lobby. Is that what it's called? Well, so the, the timeline is Oscar Isaac's character, Miguel, because he's the one that started this whole thing. It's his world, which is called... Nuevo York or something, yeah, or New Nuevo, Nuevo New or the yeah, same I, word. So I, it wouldn't I, be I that. didn't mind the so aesthetic, that was, the idea of what was going on there. Yeah, so that was that was his future where they all hang out, and essentially they are all in like a building, and they like, they call it the lobby. Um, this would have been if you're a comic reader, this would have been like the best movie ever, which we're not, but like just the the amount of Spider Men and women and stuff that were in there, like it kind of becomes a little too much after a while, but it's still like incredible to look at. I understand that, but the I, the entire time of watching it, you you don't watch Rick and Morty, do you? No. So there's an episode of Rick and Morty where Rick and Morty go to the Citadel of Ricks. <laughs> and the whole idea is, and Rick is almost like, why would I want to go there? The whole point of being Rick is being unique. By ca- coming together and unionizing, you're becoming less Rick. I'm the most Rickest, I'm the Rickest Rick that's ever Ricked motherfucker <laughs> and so i it's the entire time that we're in the lobby i'm just like looking at sam and joking about like the citadels of citadel of rick and how they in that show in that episode they parody the whole idea of a multiverse and that there's 
to all these different Ricks or Spider-Man. And it's almost like, well, if you're all hanging out together, you're all fucking sheep and you, none of you are unique or interesting because you're all the same. Even though you're different, like, it's... And there's a bit where they're walking through the Citadel and Morty is almost like, hey, look, it's me, but it's the cowboy version of me. And then they literally do that in the movie with Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, they have the um, they have a horse that can shoot webs out of its hooves. Oh. <laughs> but that's that, it's doing essentially the same thing. It's like all these all these Spider-Men have just kind of accepted that they need to have people die in their life and Miles is the rickest of the ricks in the sense that he's like, "No, nah, I'm going to go do my own thing" and runs off. Um I thought it was good. I thought it was really good. But I, but I understand why what your problems are. Yeah, I don't have a problem with anybody liking it. I can completely understand why, but I'm just explaining my experience with it. And then the whole thing is, again, we're already in spoiler territory anyway. Uh, the ending, where it's almost like, oh, climax, 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 and over and come back in two years' time for another one. And it's almost like, I booed. <laughs> at the screen and gave it the finger and Sam was almost like are you kidding me and children were crying did you feel the same way when June ended with Dune part one though uh, no because I feel like that was a complete film where yeah it didn't go back to the Harkonnens and stuff like that and that's a really good parallel you're making but I felt that was a it was very clear that this is not getting to the end, but that the Spider-Man film felt like it was leading all the way up to this big stakes sort of moment. And then it let all the air out of the room by saying, we'll return in episode three or whatever they wanted to call it. Yeah. June didn't really end on a cliffhanger or anything, did it? It was kind it, of like, he's he's got his mum and him away. They're with the new group. They're like, Moving forward, and, and we're gonna hang out with Zendaya, Shady. Yeah. yeah, Zendaya, who was in all the promo material for June Part One, and that was in like ten minutes of the movie. Yeah, so we'll hang out with her a lot more in Part Two. So, those are all my criticisms. That also comes with the layer of that cinema experience, which was, I think, the worst cinema experience I've ever had. So, I, I'm probably not coming from a fair place, and like again, complete right of reply, fire away, tell me why I'm wrong. Um, no, no, I think we, I think we did it while we were talking about it. I'd rather move on because you said streaming wins, uh, does streaming win when what streaming services are giving you is, uh, the idol. <sighs> Speaking of Zendaya, Sam Levinson, who created Euphoria has, uh, created the idol star in, um, the weekend and Lily Rose Depp. Uh, I don't know if anyone's watching this show because no one's watching it in the States. I think but, people um, are though. People hate watching it. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's got like, it's only got 800,000 views in the States. Like, maths gets more than that here in Australia. I wouldn't mind hate watching it. Have you watched any more past episode I've one? I watched the first episode and Sam was like, this is junk. I don't want to watch anymore. And because of the test match, I haven't had time. And I'm also concerned by if anybody's judging me of me watching this by myself. Yeah, yeah, that's a good concern because um, that is uh, torture, porn, sadistic, uh, influential, um, really weird sex scenes. Uh, so for anyone who doesn't know, the idol is the uh, Lily Rose Depp plays a uh, pop star and apparently the biggest pop star in the it's, world at the moment. 
Britney in 2023, if Britney existed in 2023. But also, I don't... Who is the biggest pop star in the world? Pop star? Uh, Taylor ooh. Swift? Um, no, what's her name? Um, the fact that you have to Dua go, Lipa? The fact that you have to go, um, uh, I don't know, suggests that we actually don't live in a culture where one person can be so dominant on on the music industry with in a in a streaming spotify music industry you can't have record labels say like britney spears is the number one artist in the world and that can't be disputed yeah the first 10 minutes of the first episode has her practicing for a music video and i was thinking who watches music videos anymore (laughs) how much money goes into these music videos um so she's a pop star and she goes to a club and meets the weekend's uh character um, who is literally just a nightclub owner, and for some reason, With they hit tail. it off. Uh, he fucking has the most disgusting rat tail I've ever seen in my life. And all I could think in that first episode was, how how is this a believable thing? Like, look how? at this guy. Look He's how creepy a he is. He's wearing a hairnet of hair. He runs a nightclub, and apparently the biggest pop star in the world is like, yeah, fuck me up. Yeah, but also a nightclub that plays like 80s hits. And he he calls her out and he's like, "Oh my God, it's you! Can I dance with you?" It's like, oh, Jesus I love Christ. I love the, the walking over. It's almost like I started laughing, and it's almost like, is this deliberate? Is this deliberately supposed to be ironic pastiche? You, and if, maybe it is. If you listen to the weekend, <laughs> it's meant no, to be. He thinks he's doing dead. He thinks he's Jeremy Strong. So, the I don't know if you know the backstory, but essentially. It was written by someone else who wrote like 90% of the script and The weekend was an executive producer on it and everyone thought, oh, wow, how humble of The weekend to executive produce this and not like so many other people insert himself in. He's just like, here you go. Um, here's the money. Make a show. And then just as it was about to be finished, he did the exact opposite of what everyone was praising him for and he sacked the writer and came in and rewrote with someone else all his scenes and made himself the main character. And everyone's like, this guy cannot act to save his life. It's a joke. And then so he's since come out every week and been like, guys, that's the point. I'm intentionally playing a weird, gross, satirical version of a Oh, yeah, that's intentional. Like, Uh, I just don't think you can act. I think the premise of the show, of this portrait of a pop star in 2023 with all these sort of issues. And I, Sam was disgusted, but I thought the, the opening sort of monologue from her PR agent talking about how mental health is sexy, mm. which that how was, that was phrased was absolutely abhorrent. But I also thought that was sort of funny. I, I actually was going to say like, it's disgusting, but the best part of this show was the first 20 minutes when it was... Hey, just yeah. going full Ari Gold. When it was her team, like her publicist and her agent and her manager and her like tour promoter and stuff, all around this pop star who's had like a scandal happen and them trying to react and what they do and how they take advantage of her and how they spin stories, but doing it in a sickening but also funny way was like the best part of the show. And if that oh, was totally. the show then I would probably have hung around for that show. Like a bit of Entourage, but like better and less of Vinny Chase. But Entourage then, meets Veep. 
Entourage meets Veep is great. That would have been really good. Like, make Lily Rose Depp even just a side character to all these other people that, like, leech off her and exploit her. That's a good show. And then halfway through the show, she goes to the club and starts getting bags put on her head so she can be screwed by the weekend acting terribly. Is that what Gen Z is into? I don't think so, but maybe it is. I don't Um, know. If you watch anything that Sam Levinson has made, which is just Euphoria and uh, this show, The Idol, then I think all you can learn is that Gen Z like ketamine and freaky weird sex. Have you watched Euphoria? No, I've seen bits of it here and there, but I never really watched it. See, I feel like it's too white straight men in their 30s I don't who haven't seen Euphoria I don't think we're a good good authority on this see I feel I feel totally fine in watching the idol with my partner I feel wrong I feel would I feel like I would feel less dirtier if I just watch pornography by myself rather than the idol Oh my god! Does that make I, sense? Saw, I saw a I saw a comment that um, someone said the idol was um, the tone of Entourage meets Pornhub. <laughs> oh. But like the dark corners of Pornhub. But you you said like I I sat down and watched it with Brit and her friend um, who was staying with us at the time, and it finished and we were, we just looked at each other like, what the hell was that? Like, yeah, Sam Sam was show? almost like that was garbage, and she also she said it was boring. Which I can sort of understand. I really liked, as you said, that twenty-minute sort of tit-a-tat, like yeah. lock the the nudity con- consultant in yes. the bathroom. That was that was a whole thing as well. That was so interesting that they're like like on sets now. Intima- intimacy coordinators yeah. are so important to make sure everyone's comfortable and no one's doing things that they can't do. And they just completely made fun of this guy. It's like, is this the point? Like, who are you trying to make fun of here? The, the, po- the other point Sam made, which I completely agree and we were sort of talking about, was this idea of um, Jocelyn is the character, right? Is yes. this over-sexualized pop star in the style of a Britney Spears, but probably Britney Spears to the, like the 10th degree, right? And I'm almost like, is that really representative of popular culture now? Yeah, there, there is sense of that, like Dua Lipa does some things like that. Uh, Ariana Grande is sort of adjacent to some of those things, but I wouldn't say that's the dominant sort of culture, especially with how women present, uh, as in the sense of a pop star, where it's very much about, I'm not trying to come, again, as a 30-year-old white guy trying to explain <laughs> feminism, and but how I think that has shifted over the past 20 years, yeah. and the way that this hypersexualized sort of pop star figure isn't really relevant in 2023, but was probably hyper-relevant in 2001. Yeah, it's definitely big, like, sex doesn't sell as much now. No. Um, when you look at, like, bigger people doing tours, like Taylor Swift, who seems to perpetually be on tour, and they're always talking about her partners, but she's never sexualized anyway. Um, so it's interesting. In the in the third app, which I haven't watched, just so you don't torture yourself by hate-watching it, but ep3 literally has a line where a guy is suffering from IBS and he says, I'm shitting more than I'm shitting more blood than a kid on Epstein Island. <laughs> like, who is writing this shit? How is this show getting made? <laughs> is that funny? I don't no. know. <laughs> no. Oh, I think it You're... sort of is. <laughs> Maybe I don't the thing is I, I don't know. And I think that that is the intrigue in how bad this show is. I what I do want to watch it, but 
I can't at the same Your time. Your initial point is to be like, ha, a joke. And then you go, hang on, a joke about child sex trafficking. Mm, <laughs> maybe, maybe not a joke. <laughs> maybe not a joke I should be listening to. There was things in that first episode that I thought was hysterical, which I, I don't know. On if purpose? Sorry? On purpose, though? Yeah, I didn't, I couldn't tell. Like, I literally laughed when she was doing the straight to camera uh, music video routine, and I burst out laughing because this is so hypersexualized. Yes. But it's also like, this is sort of outrageous. And that's, is that the joke? Or is actually this. And I laughed in those sort of moments, and Sam looked at me and was like, What are you laughing at? It's like, Just How ridiculous th- it exactly, is. Exactly. How ridiculous. It's almost like, that was it the film where it's like is it where Hannibal Lecter like eats brains and stuff and apparently people laughed in the cinema because it was so such an outrageous yeah. sort of scene that was created it's almost like this is supposed to be horror inducing but it's so out there that it's funny it's yeah. you can't take it seriously yeah I might I might I don't know I I I'm watching. From which I've talked about all the time, Silo, which we've talked about a little bit off mic. Yeah, it's which getting to gone... an interesting point. Uh, I don't think we've got time today. Yeah, no, we won't touch on it. But I think um, next week is the finale next Friday. So I think we should do a recap. So we'll talk about it then as a full season recap. That's on Apple TV Plus. Um, Deadlock which is really good. Is Deadlock on... good? Yeah, I'm enjoying it. There's some episodes are really good and some episodes are okay, but I'm really enjoying it. Um, uh, also, like the, I suppose the Australian staple, like Utopia. I don't, I don't yep. think you're probably watching it, but I'm watching it. No, I love Utopia. Yeah, so like that's back, and I suppose that is sort of boomer TV to a certain extent. Nah, or, Utopia's or, good. But also, isn't it interesting that the ABC are currently going through this huge sort of shift in what they're trying to do? Like they've sacked their um, television political editor in favor of like researchers and maybe TikTokers. Yes, I um I got told. Uh, I was potentially going to go back and work with Catalyst at the end of August and I spoke to them today and they were kind of like, uh, look, it's almost definitely still happening, but with the huge restructure that's happening at the moment, we actually have no idea what our future funding is. So yeah. we'll let you know. Like, Appar- oh, okay. Apparently the BBC by 2030 won't have like a TV. I, I might be wildly wrong about this, but mm. the, the chat is and I'll have to look this up before next week, the BBC won't project uh, terrestrially... Um, what's the word when you put it on an te- antenna for the terrestrial TV? I don't know. Stream? No. Broadcast? Uh, well, yeah, broad- they won't terrestrially broadcast to television past 2030. Really? They will be a digital-only platform. Even the BBC? Interesting. So they That's... will go to like the BBC iPlayer... You won't turn on the television and try and find BBC One. It'll be the BBC iPlayer, like that in Netflix. That can't happen here because we always, particularly at the ABC, we were always talking about the fact that like nobody goes to the online versions of Australian network TV, like Apple, uh, ABC iView, Ten Play, Nine Now. Like no one, anyone who wants to watch the ninety-five percent of trash that Australian TV makes, they sit down and they watch it on their TV like broadcast time. No one, no one goes online to watch those things. So I don't. Yeah, if that's where they're trying to go, it's not going to happen anytime soon. Well, it was like, I think they'd done some internal sort of research and stuff, and the projections was like, at the moment, I think it's four in ten Australians watch the ABC 
or, or it might be young people, four in mm. ten young people have some sort of a imprint with ABC, whether they're streaming or watching or listening to something. And they were sort of projecting if it continues to go along that lines, that it'll be like one in 10 by like 2030 or 2040 sort of thing. So the whole idea is like they need to diversify, digitize and traditional sort of methods of media. So terrestrial television are becoming less, becoming more redundant and they shouldn't be pooling their resources in it. And they need to be getting people who can do both in the short term. Interesting. Um, the last thing I was going to mention was um, the Clearing, which is another Aussie show. I don't know if you've seen it's on. Oh, on Disney with um, yeah, Disney Plus. Guy Pearce, right? Yeah, Guy Pearce and Miranda Otto. Uh, we watched like the first two or three apps in a season yeah, the other night, which is really good. It's great. Um, which is so funny. We always, or not not so much you, but definitely me, always talk about um, where the hell Australian TV is for us Australians to talk about. But the Clearing is really really good. Utopia is great, and I will watch Deadlock. Soon. Yeah, so I will get on the clearing. You get on to deadlock, and then we can maybe actually have a... talk about Australian TV. Yes, and then we can we can we can funnel that, and that can be the second half of the cricket. Episode. Yes, just and pure then Australian, mate. We've got listeners in China and um, uh, all over the, uh, Belgium. They're going to have no idea what's going I, on. I've I forgot that I did. I was leading towards a question, and I didn't finish it. So just to end this this segment, um, who would you cast as Pat Cummins? Um, who, um, what's the guy from Euphoria thinking about that? Jacob Elordi. He's Australian. The, he's the main tall, brooding, uh, rapey, uh, abusive guy from Euphoria. And he's he actually Australian. just been, he's actually playing, uh, Elvis in Sophia Coppola's upcoming, uh, Priscilla Presley movie. I'm looking at it. He can definitely play pat cummins very sure. alpha that is an outstanding <laughs> very call. alpha and he can do the accent that's yeah. great shout he'll be australian um all right we'll take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk about the absolute goat that is harrison ford uh welcome back to the advanced screening with uh the final indiana jones movie coming out uh 30th of june we're going to rank- they say final they say final. I mean, God, please let it be the final. Um, by all accounts, it's definitely not as good as the first three, but good and fun. So we'll uh, talk about that. Better than the Crystal Skull? Better than the Crystal Skull. Do no you remember sw- when we went and saw the Crystal Skull? No swinging monkeys, no Shia LaBeouf. Um, so I got grounded for like two weeks. Why? You don't remember, do you? No. What'd you do? So what we did is school finished early at midday because they had parent-teacher interviews. And so me, you, and Jeremy were like, let's go to Parramatta Westfield and go see the new Indiana Jones movie. It's on at like 2 o'clock. Uh, we got to be back at school at like 6.30. Oh, we were so late, weren't we? Didn't we leave yes. early? Uh, we left the cinema like as soon as like, like th- we I knew what we was happening. The end. Like, we left. Yeah. Um, because there was 45 minutes worth of ads. So the movie was supposed to start at 2. Didn't start to like 2.45, 2.50. Yep. And then the movie went for two and a half hours. So then we're leaving at like quarter to six in a car park, getting out of Parramatta Westfield at peak hour. 
And I we remember could, we were sp- yeah, shitting myself on that drive back. We were You panicking. were school captain. Oh, my God. I completely forgot about that. I don't remember anything from school. But I. But the second you bring up a story, I'm like, oh, my God. Like I'm pretty sure we missed the spacecraft leaving at the end of the film. Or like it had happened and we just started sprinting to sprinting. the car park. And we were like, that was so dumb. This was not to- totally not worth <laughs> this it. This wasn't worth it. Um, so what we're going to try to do is between us, come up with the top five. So there's going to be yes. some that I think will definitely go in. But I was going to propose to you that for the sake of um, keeping it interesting, we have to somehow only put in one from his franchise movies. So if we put in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, we can't put in any other Indiana Jones movies. Oh, no, I'm all in on that. It's, okay, almost, like cool. if, it's almost like he's been in the two totemic sort of franchises of the 20th century and you're saying we can only pick one? Yeah. So um, Harrison Ford, uh, obviously Carpenter turned actor. I just wanted to... There was some funny... I went on his... Um, IMDB trivia and there was some funny things uh he had no formal training as a carpenter he borrowed books on carpentry and taught himself how to be a carpenter and then essentially he was known as the best carpenter in Hollywood after teaching himself and so everyone all the actors and stars and directors wanted to get him to come do their carpentry and that's how he met people and became an actor at the age of like 31 so if you ever want to change careers it's not too late wild (laughs) um he has uh, ants named after him, uh, and he and Kevin Costner essentially battled their whole way through their career. Like Kevin Costner was originally meant to be um, in Air Force One, and then he got delayed because the filming of the movie The Postman ran too long, and so he couldn't be in Air Force One, which was great for Kevin Costner because The Postman was such a success. <laughs> I was on a shoot uh, about two weeks ago, and we finished it about midnight so we got back to the hotel went to our separate rooms and you have to like put something on you got to wind down you can't go straight to bed and then so it's about 1 30 in the morning and i'm watching the postman just being like what is this shit movie how bad was it it's so bad and then i um got out the next day go to the next shoot and i was with the director and i'm like oh what'd you do when you got back he's like oh I was flicking channels and I put on The Postman. Man, that movie fucking sucks. I'm like, oh my God, I watched The Postman and we just talked about it for ages. So, so bad. But we're not doing a Kevin Costner podcast. Before we start picking movies, I want to ask you, Is does Harrison Ford have potentially the best decade of films out of any actor ever? Oh, the 1980s um, for Harrison Ford? The 1980s. Ford? So this is That is the golden of golden runs. One movie per year, essentially. He goes 1980, Empire Strikes Back, 81, Raiders of the Lost Ark, 82, Blade Runner, 83, Return of the Jedi, 84, Temple of Doom, 85, Witness, 86, Mosquito Coast, 87, he has a year off, 88, he has Working Girl, 89, Last Crusade. And then in 92 and 94, he does the Jack Ryan movies as well. Like that is just one per year. And every single one of them is like Hall of Fame action adventure movie. It's elite areas, isn't it? I, I can't think of anything else. And almost we're going to have to battle to get some of those into our list. So I think the best place to start, because I want I think I know what you're going to do. And I want to have the argument is Raiders of the Lost Ark or Last Crusade. I watched Raiders last week because Sam hadn't seen it. 
Um, and I'm always Last Crusade. I think it's... Oh, you're Last the, Crusade. Uh, Last Crusade, I think, is a fantastic, Good. complete film. Um, uh, Raiders is fun. It has its moments, but um, Last Crusade is a genuinely better film, and I think it's a better performance from Ford. It's interesting that you say it's a better film. I think maybe because like heaps of people have been writing about him the last few days, and I kind of tend to agree that Raiders is technically a better film, but Last Crusade is way more watchable. Like I've watched it so many more times than Raiders, and it's just so much more fun, and the action sequences are so much better. It doesn't lag as much as Raiders. Um, it has, obviously, James Bond, Sean Connery playing his dad, which is just elite casting, even though I think they were only 12 years apart at the time. And Harrison Ford originally said, we can't have Sean Connery, he's only 12 years older than me. And then they like met and did some screen tests and it was just like fireworks. And they aged up Sean Connery from that era. Made him real like fuddly dudley, put him in tweed pants and a tweed suit and like bumbling about. Doesn't Sean Connery like like a couple of years, like five or six years later, is like the romantic lead across like Catherine Zeta-Jones? Entrapment. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Sean, because they they had to age him up. Like it's so interesting that they cast him knowing, I think um, Harrison Ford was like, 34 and Sean Connery was 46. Harry, Sean Connery looks like, like, like a, a grandfather in that movie. He's 46 years old in Last Crusade. That's insane. The action sequences in Last Crusade just clip and clip, like blimp um, into plane, into Berlin um, boats. Oh, loved it. Yeah. So this is my question. Are we going for best performance or best film? There's different things, aren't they? Broach it when we get to it. Because you, if you want to put forward a, a, a movie that necessarily isn't great, but Harrison Ford is phenomenal in it, then go for well, it. Well, I would say, for example, the one where he's like the dead wife, like What Lies Beneath, that, that sort of horror film. I've never seen it. Yeah, I haven't seen it for an age. But again, maybe not a film that you're always returned to, but a film that holds a lot of, he's really fucking good in that. And him doing a a horror film, you know, this is a guy, he's he's going across genres. I also like his performance in Bruno. Oh, really? (laughs) That's a joke. (laughs) I was like, oh God, where are we going now? Um, Before we get off the last crusade train. um, So are we locking that in or, or do you want Raiders? I wanted to talk about... No, I'm, I'm Last Crusade as well. I thought you were going to go Raiders. Um, I'm Last Crusade as well. Quick two minutes on Temple of Doom. Just want to say, I'm pro Temple of Doom. I I don't understand the hate it gets. I feel Steven Spielberg essentially made Last Crusade because he was like... Got so much hate for Temple of Doom being like super dark and like ripping people's hearts out while they're still alive. It went a little Mortal Kombat in parts. I was like, I don't know what my parents were thinking. I must have been like 10 years old when I watched that movie. I remember the eyes and soup and the crocodiles creeped me out. Yeah, but as when you think like Indiana Jones could have had so many more adventures than just the three movies they made and then later Crystal Skull, and they could have made a dozen of those movies. And it's good to see him do something different, like, Movie one, Raiders, movie uh, three, Last Crusade, both have like Nazis are the villains and it's kind of Christianity and Christian based. So I just loved 
grubby Indiana Jones in India, like in the mines and shit, dealing yeah. with cults and stuff. It was nice change because he do could have done so much put, more. Do you think it put back like Western Western ideas <laughs> yes. of what India is 20 years? Oh, yeah. Back? It was very, very culturally insensitive, but that doesn't mean it's not a good movie. Well, I don't know. I also also think the way that it views like China in that Shanghai sequence, which I lo- I really like the the chase scene through the streets. Yeah, that was that was Spielberg doing his James Bond fantasy because he always wanted to direct. Oh, is that the yeah, idea there? He always wanted to direct a James Bond film, but the Broccoli's always went with English directors, so he never got the chance. So that whole Shanghai sequence is just like essentially James Bond, but it's Indiana Jones and Harrison Ford. Like he's in the it, exact same white. It's Roger tux. Moore Bond. Isn't it? No, it's like Sean Connery was white tux, black pants. No, um, but the, it was it was the tongue in cheek, the the yes. antidote rolling against across the floor. That feels like more Roger Moore. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, all right, so Last Crusade's locked. We've got one. Um, Star Wars Empire. Yeah, it's 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 easy. It's yeah. um the the chemistry that is on screen in that film is stunning. The um the improvised It's like sure. body heat with George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez, but in space. <laughs> the um I didn't realize, and I did, I don't think I clocked it until I was like more of an adult. But Empire Strikes Back is Han Solo's movie. Like Luke oh, goes off absolutely. and Luke goes off and trains with Yoda, and Han Solo is the one trudging from planet to planet with Leia and Chewie and stuff. Like it's completely him, and he's so good in it. Like. The he's re- even the little things like he's uh, chirping back and forth with like C three PO and stuff because he's plodding along with him. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, easily in. What about the big swinging dick contest between him and Lando at Cloud City? <laughs> I like um the obviously I'm sure everyone knows this, but when Leia says I love you and he says I know, that was improv by Harrison Ford. So just absolute god. That he was meant to he was meant to say, I love you back, and he just said, I know. I know. And this is also at a time when they are having an affair that only comes out like thirty years later. Did they? I've never yes. heard this. They were they were having an affair on the set of Empire. Oh, good for them. But wasn't he like fifteen years older than He was Karen married. Michelle? Yeah, he was fifteen years old and married at the time and was having an affair. Yeah, well, I mean, look at the chemistry for oh, the two like, of them. <laughs> That's it really, why it, it's great. It really helped the movie, didn't it? It really did. <laughs> it really tied it together. And then the whole I know bit, um, that again, that might not date that great when we talk about toxic masculinity. I don't know. But um and and men being able to sort of communicate their feelings and not sort of um gaslight um women. No, now, uh, now if someone said I love you and I said I know, then it'd be like five hundred text afterwards saying, Why didn't you say it back? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you ghosting me? Why are you ghosting me like that? Um, all right, Empire is an easy in. Uh, so can I, I also think... then talk about that image? Han Solo in Empire. It's not like uh, a New Hope where it's like who shot first sort of thing with Greedo. That the image of Han Solo in that film, the rough again when the that Millennium Falcon is on the asteroid belt hanging out. And he's got that vest and jacket, and I just want that, just to like wear <laughs> yeah. in general. But that aesthetic is just like, this is the movie star. He is like you, the capital A definition of what a movie star is. That that image right there. I would rather be Indiana Jones. I think I think Indiana Jones is cooler. Um, and obviously, it's his more favorite role. If you look at all the um, 
the footage of him at the uh, Indiana Jones premiere last week where he's just like genuinely happy to be there and taking photos with fans and stuff. But anytime you went Hanging to out like with a... Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Yeah, anytime we went to a Star Wars press for like Force Awakens and stuff, he was just like, stop asking me fucking questions about the Force. I don't know and I don't give a shit. Just let me come here and look at this movie. That's something... Well, I... I and the thing is, it is his film. He is the titular character while he is a part of an ensemble. Yeah, he wanted, he wanted um, Han Solo to be killed off at the end of the first movie. Um, but he had signed a contract and they told him bad luck. Well, that's what's sort of... Also, can we... I've, I'm not going to pick it in the five, but um, The Force Awakens and his performance in that where he obviously gets killed off by um, Kylo Ren. Uh, I love that film. And yeah, I know... Like, I think it's I, a really good movie. It's 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 a new hope just done over again, but it's done really, really well. Yeah. And Harrison Ford, he's in a lot of ways... not He's not the star in it, but I think he is by far the most engaging character in it. Yes. So, where do we go next? I think The Fugitive has to be in. Yes. Um, we've actually talked about The Fugitive on a pod, uh, so we don't need to talk about it too much more. But this is like a mid-90s action film where guy gets con- uh, guy gets convicted of killing his wife, breaks out of jail, and... U.S. Marshals chase him down. Should be just standard nothing 90s action film. Today, that movie would be put straight to streamer. No one would have ever heard of it with yeah with poor aging Bruce Willis. But that movie got nominated for a screenplay Oscar. It got nominated. Tommy Lee Jones won for supporting actor. Um, just insane that you bring those bring the right people together and you can turn like just the simplest script into such a good movie. I don't want to get off to off base but tommy lee jones being like fbi agent in films in like i feel like that's canonical like he's just a cia uh, fbi agent yes um speaking of the future double jeopardy wasn't it uh yes that's the one with um oh i can't remember the actress's name yeah but but you know the film yeah 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 um I think The Fugitive has some of the best hand acting by harrison ford (laughs) you know have you have you ever noticed his hands in films Elaborate, please. They, he's just always... They're always doing something. They're always shaking. They're always waving. His fingers are always like in a weird um, thing. I don't know. Next time, if we go and watch Dial of Destiny next week, remember hand acting and just picture that whenever you see Harrison Ford's hands in a shot. Like whenever he's getting beat up or knocked around or run in, he's always like rubbing stuff. Oh, he's always like... In, and especially in Indiana Jones where it's the forearm across the yes. sort of brow. Yes, but his fingers are always like, like they've got a mind of their own. But um, Harrison Ford waking up and blinking. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And rubbing his eyes with his weird hands. Um, so we've gone three easily. What do you... We've only got two spots. I've got a list of what should be the last two spots. Um, so Blade Runner, Air Force One, Clear and Present Danger... Patriot Games and Witness. Fuck, um, I- I'm going to be selfish with my pick because I'm very happy for you to have the. I'll take two and you take three, and I'm going to go Blade Runner. Now, are you going to go Blade Runner or Blade Runner 2049? Again, I'm going to go the original, but in 2049, just like in The Force Awakens, he is the best thing in it. He's easily when the best. he's not the lead, and. 
it was interesting when you brought up like better movie or better role because he's obviously the lead in Blade Runner and he's in like half of 2049, if not less. But I think 2049 is a better movie. Yeah, I, I I like twenty forty nine and the Dennis Vill- what Dennis Villeneuve does with that movie, and I can understand that certain parts of the original Blade Runner probably ages and dates it a little bit. Um, not necessarily concept, but just like the production or how it's filmed and like the weird sort of toy apartment, yeah, genetic sort of thing. It's a bit like oh, this very nineteen eighties sort of fascination, isn't it? Uh, but the original for what's going on there, um, Harrison Ford in in Blade Runner, the original, pretty much sets the template for what Ryan Gosling has done for most of his career. Yeah, yeah, he does. And it also, like, the film itself sets the template for, like, sci-fi for the next 30 years. So I don't think you can not pick the original Blade Runner because, like, it was such a long shot and it was such a weird concept and stuff. And yet, going off the back of just Harrison Ford's stardom and Ridley Scott's directing ability. Like, you, yeah, I agree. Mate, you have to go for ad- it. Advanced English. Year, was it year 11 or year 12? Year 11. I don't, think they would have, I don't think they would have let us do Blade Runner for the HSC, but we definitely did it in year 11. Yeah. And th- the other thing is like the director's cut of the original. I always prefer the director's cut because it leads in and infers that Harrison Ford's decade is a replicant, but it's not sort of comprehensive it doesn't mm. doesn't make that it doesn't state it but it infers while the original that's never sort of suggested in some way so i, I am always a sucker for the director's cut because i think decade is a replicant but um the 2049 sort of did away with that and did suggest these humans because obviously he ages yeah i think in 2049 it's the fact that he ages and i think they actually they actually make it explicit if i'm remembering the movie right because the whole the whole thing that everyone's seeking, the girl in the cube at the end of the movie, the whole idea is that he's a human and he had sex with a replicant and the replicant gave birth to a human. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's what they imply. But yeah, the director's cut of um, Blade Runner suggests that he's and a And the replicant. replicants only live for not that long. Yeah. Like um, four years or something like that. And then they start breaking down. Again, we've gone for a big... Like, I think... And it is the obvious temptation we've leaned into it to go for these big totemic sort of blockbusters and also just big IP. We've picked three sort of big IP films which have had, that have been brought back in contemporary cinema. And I think that is, his legacy, maybe unfairly, is that he's the starring figure in these huge films. Well, that was going to be my thing. Is there any other, before we pick our last one, is there any other actor who has had such success with franchise films? Like, he's in Indiana Jones, he's in Star Wars, he's in Blade Runner, he's been Jack Ryan in two films. Yeah, like, we didn't even talk about that. Or like, yet. Is there anyone else? And... It's really to, hard. To make it funny, to make it really funny, is that, like, he couldn't give a shit as well. Like, yeah, he's so indifferent to it. He has literally, as a as a leading man, like, shaped culture, and he's kind of just indifferent to it. And isn't it interesting, this late career sort of turn in TV, and it's almost like, fuck it, I'll do it. Like, I'll have a great shrinking, because it's a TV comedy, and I haven't done that before. Yeah, and he's doing... Um, 
playing General Ross in President Ross in the new Captain America movie coming out next year. Because it's fuck it, why not? Why not? I want to see myself as a big CGI red guy. Um, cool, I'll do that. Um, so last one, I think you will agree that we have to go Air Force One. Yes. Uh, I did want to the like, people's we kind of, pick. We kind of touched on it, but um, him playing Jack Ryan in Clear and Present Danger and Patriot Games is awesome. I absolutely love those movies. He was only in them because he was meant to be Jack Ryan instead of Alec Baldwin in The Hunt for Red October. Oh, really? But he couldn't do it. So Alec Baldwin did it. And then for Patriot Games, the next film, Alec Baldwin can do it. So they got Harrison Ford back to play it. So oh, they kind so of literally flipped. I'm going to watch Patriot Games this weekend then. Yeah. So that imagine imagine your boy Alec Baldwin in that role. But those two movies are great. Also, like again, I can't I can't stop thinking about it that like two 30-year-old like straight white guys talking about how great Harrison Ford is in all these big movies that everybody's seen, but oh you four haven't seen it, don't know weird sex, eh? <laughs> we can't uh, we can't talk about uh, high schoolers having sex in Euphoria, but we can talk about Harrison Ford as president of the United States <laughs> in Air Force One. <laughs> One of the best action movies ever made. Um, not much else to say about it. Witness is a really good movie that we can't put on our top five. Yeah. Uh, Do do we do this in year 10 English or maybe it was in 11? I can't remember. I watched it at some point at school. I don't remember watching it at school, but I remember watching it when I was pretty young. Um, If anyone hasn't seen Witness, that is essentially um, Harrison Ford plays a detective and he has to protect a kid who witnessed uh, some murder. But then when they... uh, try to make an attempt on Harrison Ford's life, they put him into witness protection in an Amish community. And apparently he loved that role. It's one of his favorites because he got to put his carpentry skills to work in building houses <laughs> on the film set. And, and as well, he's pretty hot in it. It's probably one of his best he's looked. I still think he looks the best in um, Raiders, but... What about Mosquito Coast without his shirt? I'd prefer Mosquito Coast when he's got the Hawaiian shirt on. Party shirt all day. Or what about um? What is it? Is it seven days and seven nights, or was or is that a different one? Was that no, 40? no, that yeah, six days, seven nights, or the <laughs> other way around, whatever it was. Seven days, six nights. <laughs> um, that's just him getting lost in the jungle for seven days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what else did I have? Uh, Firewall. Have you ever seen Firewall? No. He plays this is like as he gets into his latter years, two thousand and six. He plays like a tech online security specialist when no one really knew what the hell that was and Paul Bettany is like the bad guy who infiltrates his home and holds oh, his family hostage um, not a bad movie I think everyone thinks it was pretty shit but I liked it uh, K-19 The Widowmaker that's sort of your sort of movie submarines again submarine thrillers are back uh, doing a, an average uh, Russian accent in that movie I think but um, submarine thrillers put somebody put Harrison Ford put Sean Connery in submarines put Alec Baldwin in submarines I don't care it's going to be a good I movie think- just to wind up, I think it talks about the legacy of him where you think about who was the biggest movie star in the world as a, as a, just a general name. And you can go for like Leo or Brad Pitt, even potentially uh, George Clooney. And it's like me and Sam were talking about this and she said Clooney. And it's almost like, yeah, but think about what Clooney's really been in. And you take out Oceans. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that Harrison Ford, I don't think has ever... No, he's been nominated for a single Oscar. Um, 
uh, can't remember which one it was, um, but he's been nominated for one Oscar in his whole career, which he didn't win. So no one ever thinks of him as like the best actor ever um, in prestige wise. And yet you rattle off that decade of the eighties and now he's kind of old man resurgence. Now he's obviously one of the greatest actors of all time. So uh, he's the Pantheon, right? This is it. Yeah. Until we do... Four in... straight 30-year-old white men. Yeah, well, we're going to get even straighter and righter, whiter when we, um, in about a week and a half's time, when we do Tom Cruise's Hall of Fame for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of Pantheon actors, like I don't think Tom Cruise has had like a straight decade like we just talked about with Harrison Ford's 80s, but he's had... So many hits. That 90s will, uh... was the decade of Cruise. Yeah. I think that's the peak of his fame. 90s for Cruise? I think we'll it's We'll talk right about now. this in over the next sort of couple of weeks, but yeah. But until then, uh, this has been the event screening. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Tom. Good talking to you. I will see you later. Basball can get fucked. <laughs>